Name your terms, Mr. Turner. Elizabeth goes free! Yes, we know that one. Anything else? Now I'm the king of the swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. Sad to the bone. Sad. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Chris and everyone listening, we've we've done a lot of best brackets we've done everything from best animated to best love song to most recently the best baby yoda moment and so we're going to go ahead and take a turn for this one we're going to be uh thinking about some saddest disney boys and and i would like to specify that is boys b-o-i which is uh very different than boy b-o-y and we can yes. uh unpack what we think that means to us as we get through this episode, but um, I'm glad we're talking about it because we've been talking about sad boys like for the entire life of Mouse Madness, and and I'm happy we we have them in their devoted space to to break down the archetype and to uh, give some props to some of our favorite Disney sad boys. To help us do that is our good friend and longtime Mouse Madness listener and one of our original co-host guest host it's kareem what's going on kareem not much i'm just happy to be here um to talk about the saddest disney boy or girl <laughs> what what do you think of when you think of disney sad boys and sad girls um when i think of disney sad boys and sad girls i think of like the most emo like disney characters around I do see quite a few of them on this list, so I'm really, <laughs> really excited about that. Yeah, I, I think we're going to be throwing around that word emo a lot <laughs> this week and next mm-hmm. week. And, uh, you know, we talked a lot about emo and punk on our Disney Mania bracket, so I think some of those conversations are going to go hand in hand. Uh, we're going to be back in that early 2000s mental space for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Before we get to that space... Um, let's talk about what's going to help us get there in our spoonful of sugar segment. Kyle, what do you got today? So knowing that we are going to be talking about some emo boy and girls, uh, on this bracket for these next couple of weeks, I went ahead and Googled, uh, (laughs) cocktails with sad names. My goodness. And I found, I found the suffering bastard, (laughs) which felt fitting for some of the people on this list. What this is, is an ounce of bourbon, an ounce of gin, an ounce of fresh lime juice, and some Angostura bitters, topped off with four ounces of ginger ale. So I didn't have bourbon, but I put in some brandy. And I mixed it all up, threw it into my spoonful of sugar glass, and haven't tasted it yet, so I'm going to do it now. I used way too much lime juice. This is very, <laughs> very citrusy, very sour, way too much lime. Oh boy, but uh, you know, there's a lot of sour characters on this list, so I'm gonna fit right in. Well, I got a sour going on too. Uh, this is a sour IPA, 
I am on a beer roll with good beers. <laughs> I'm happy because that doesn't normally happen to me. Yeah. And I think that I'm happy that I have found like my beer niche. That like I can consistently buy a type of beer and know that I'm probably going to enjoy it. It's taken me 15 years to, to figure it out, but here we are. Uh, this is a Bronx Brewery Sour IPA called City Island. It tastes like these Altoids that were really popular when I was in like middle school. They were like orange. Sometimes they were like lemon or lime, and they were like sour Altoids. Right. They were like the big crater looking Altoids. Yes. Yes. And uh, it tastes like if you dropped one of those in a beer. It's great. It's lovely. It's like um, Goose Island or like a shock top just dialed up. The shock dialed up on the shock top. Nice. Uh, Kadeem, what do you have? So I will be drowning my sad boy sorrows with uh, what I consider to be the saddest drink around. And that is a glass of red wine, <laughs> specifically Cabernet Sauvignon. Classy sadness. All right, let's go. All right, so as we do every single bracket, we had to find some folks to choose who the sad boy and sad girls are for this bracket. And we, uh, there's been a lot of drama on the old Diz Twitter these days. Oh. A lot of changes have been coming to the parks. A lot of announcements have been made about shows and movies and spoilers beyond WandaVision and all kinds of stuff. So it was, once again, not hard to find a demographic to choose. And we sent the intern searching on the internet for people who were overdramatic on Twitter about Eric Idol. Now, Chris, <laughs> I've never been to Disney World and I've never been on this attraction. But can you explain to the people what Eric Idol has to do with Disney park fans? Well, to like the casual Disney goer, not much at all. But to like the diehard Walt Disney World annual pass holder and especially Epcot fanboy and fangirl, the Journey into Imagination Pavilion is like a national treasure. It is uh, formerly an Omnimover attraction, which heavily featured Figment, the dragon imaginary dragon or yeah. dinosaur or something and yeah, uh he went on like a, a lovely journey through imagination like when epcot first opened and they redid the attraction once in the late 90s i think it was and they put eric idol in it as like a, a host of sorts and they removed most of the figment and it was a train wreck allegedly I have never been on any of the incarnations of this imagination <laughs> ride because every time I'm there, the wait is like five minutes. And I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I'm missing much if it's always like five minutes. And also, I'm only at Epcot like one day out of four or five years. I'm going to go to hit the main attractions, your test tracks and your Sorens and all that kind of stuff at Epcot. But people on Twitter were mad that Eric Idle had never been on the ride that he's in or something like so stupid like that. It, yeah, it was the fact that he didn't know. He, one, hadn't been on the ride and they found that out because they brought up Figment, who he has lines with, and he didn't know who Figment was. <laughs> and people were like, he's never even been on the ride. And he like responded, listen, they put me in like a booth. I said some lines and I got out of there. And everybody was like, Eric Idol's never ride and just harassing him and he was responding to people all night long uh about this just these angry disney fans and like 
it's one of those times when you just like, I need to delete all Disney things out of anything that I've tweeted recently. I don't associate with these folks whatsoever. Eric Idle, go ahead and live your best life. Uh, it was a train wreck. But there were a ton of people talking about uh, this predicament on the internet. And so it was easy to find uh, a bracket of 16. But even when we did find this bracket of 16, there were a few that did not quite make it. It's the ones that missed the dance. Chris, what are a few for you? Uh, there are so many Disney sad boys out there. And uh, one of them that stands out for me is someone who we've been talking about a lot recently, and that's Mando. He kind of has a very mopey energy throughout the Mandalorian, uh, refuses help a lot, prefers to be on his own, tries to like not feel feelings of love and attachment. And uh, I think that's that's pretty token sad boy. Um, one other one that I think about is Geppetto, uh, our favorite, just terrible Disney character. He has some sad moments in Pinocchio when he wishes Pinocchio was a real boy. And that's, that's a pretty sad story. And then he messes things up by letting Pinocchio walk to school alone. And then he's sad about that also. And it seems like all he does in that movie is be sad about things. And it is agonizing to watch. <laughs> Uh, what about you, Kyle? <laughs> All right. So my first one is a father-son combo, and it is Jim Craig and his dad from the movie Miracle. Deep cut. Which is about the, the 1980 Olympic hockey team. Uh, Jim Craig was the starting goaltender of that Miracle game versus, versus Russia. But before he became the starting goaltender, he was essentially had his spot stolen by his backup because he didn't take a personality test. Uh, that Herb Brooks, the the manager, the the coach, the head coach of the team, sent to all of his players, and it was really more of a test to make sure that everyone was bought in than it was a, an actual personality test. So when he when he doesn't take his test, uh, Herb makes him the backup goaltender, and Jim goes on a little emo fit where he's like, "Is this cause I didn't take your stupid test? I'll take your stupid test." <laughs> Oh my God. And then his dad is a sad emo boy as well, because unfortunately uh, his wife passed away and this right before this like Olympic run went on and uh, he was still feeling it. So when uh, they won the, the gold medal or even before that, during the game, Jim Craig gets knocked into by one of the Russian players and hits the ice and Jim's dad stands up in the stands and just goes, and then and you, you could just see like, oh, no, I'm going to lose another one. I'm going to lose another family member. It's like, no, he's going to be OK. I promise. And then at the end of the game, they win that they win that game to essentially advance to the medal round. If you didn't know that, everyone, they didn't win the gold medal that game, the miracle game. They went on to the medal round. And uh, Jim's dad's just losing his mind. Just losing his sad boy mind in the in the stands, just crying his head off because he knows how much it meant to the family for them to win. So, uh, yeah, super deep cut. But the minute I saw a sad boy, I was like Jim Craig when he almost got his spot stolen for him for, for not taking the personality test. Kadeem, did you see any on the list that or did you not see any on the list that you felt should be on there? You know, I hadn't actually thought about it, but I think Chris is right. Like, uh the Mandalorian, he's so mopey, and it's not like anything I had ever considered before. But literally every single episode, he's just like the biggest emo teenager ever. 
there's like a whole episode when some lady tries to like help him and be nice to him and like you think he might maybe fall in love and he's like i'm gonna eat my food by myself thank you very much (laughs) um all right well now that we've got some that just missed the cut out of the way let's talk about who actually made our field of 16 can't wait to reveal our sad boys so let's cue that dramatic music and here we go pain in the ass coming in at number one eeyore from winnie the pooh and i guess that's why they call it the blues coming in at number two is sadness from inside out kidnapping won't fix his empty heart coming in at number three it's the beast poor jack just can't get his way coming in at number four is jack skellington from the nightmare before christmas no love notes in his locker. Coming in at number five, it's Davy Jones from Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Quasimodo, more like Jelly Moto. Coming in at number six is Quasimodo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Can't spell sand without sad. Crawling into the number seven spot is Anakin Skywalker. There goes my dad. Do 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 do. Coming in at the number eight seed is Ian Lightfoot from Onward. That was bad. Come on, man. Yeah, that was that was rude. <laughs> I'm sorry. Grumpy the dwarf, but make him 21st century. Floating into the number nine spot is Carl from Up. She's got ice in her veins and the number 10 seed on the bracket. It's Elsa from Frozen. He just wanted to feed the birds. Coming in at number 11 is Michael Banks from Mary Poppins and Mary Poppins Returns. A spoonful of sugar did not help the medicine of her IP being stolen from her go down. Coming in at the number 12 seed is P.L. Travers from Saving Mr. Banks. He's bad, and that's good. Coming in at number 13 is Wreck-It Ralph. Smashing his way into the 14 seed is Bruce Banner from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If only he could get his head in the game. Dropping into the number 15 spot is Troy from High School Musical. And rounding out the sad boy bracket is whiny Will himself, Will Turner from Pirates of the Caribbean. Woo! All right, Kadeem. See any early favorites on this field of 16 here? I mean, Eeyore and Anakin, I, I, I hope are going far because those are two of the saddest boys around. I mean, when, when I saw the name sad boy, I was like, this is Eeyore. Eeyore is sad boy. <laughs> That's his, that should be his name. I was going to say, the only thing is, you know, it looks like and if Anakin uh, makes it past the, the first one, uh, could be going up against the little embodiment of sadness. Sadness. So we got a tough bracket. There's some like throwaway matchups here and then some like impossible matchups here. But we'll get into them as we go along. Let's start off by talking about our boy Eeyore. We'll start off with the first matchup. It's the number one seed Eeyore. Versus the number 16 seed, Will Turner. Man, where to begin? Um, I guess we'll start off by talking about Eeyore. And Eeyore is the embodiment of sadness in a lot of ways. Christopher Robin has this like fictional, imaginary universe where all of these characters have very, very specific traits. They are really really well defined and i think that that helps the childlike brain of christopher robin like process 
these emotions and these like personality types. And so Eeyore is his like sad, mopey personality type that he's he's essentially dreamt up for his stuffed animal or his made up donkey animal. So we first see uh, Eeyore on a Disney screen in the original Winnie the Pooh. Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. That's the only one I'm going to talk about. There's like 900,000 Winnie the Pooh things, and I just don't have time to watch all of them. So I'm, I'm going to go with the OG here uh, because that's really all I can handle. I think that's all we ever really need. He is sad. We don't see him cry a whole lot. And, and when I'm thinking about like sad boys, I'm thinking about like overly emotional in times that Maybe they don't necessarily have to be overly emotional. Yes. Uh, and and Eeyore kind of keeps a level head, and it's almost like Eeyore's more cynical uh, in just the way that he processes the world. Yeah. Um, he has quotes in the original Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, such as uh, the first time we see Eeyore in... The many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, Christopher Robin's trying to pin his tail back onto his body. And he's like, this won't hurt. And Eeyore's like, never does, <laughs> which is which is interesting. Uh, I, I think sad boys tend to uh, purposefully take on pain to, to try and like help those around them not have to endure pain. <laughs> I think I think that's a sad boy move and a sad girl move. And and Eeyore seems like he uh he doesn't mind feeling that pain once in a while. And then uh, so Christopher Robin sticks him with it and he goes, Did I get your tail right? And Eeyore goes, No matter, probably we'll lose it again anyway. Yeah. Like this this guy just like has no optimism at all. It's really interesting because like it seems like every single line out of Eeyore's mouth is like a statement about being sad. There's no fluff, no filler at all. A lot of like main characters, they'll have these little flashes of sadness or like flashes of overly emotional. But when you have a supporting character like Eeyore, it's like every single reaction is just like a, a cutaway to them reacting to a situation with just with just sadness and like that's what i love about winnie the pooh and like the menagerie of characters they're all very very like i said well defined this is on top of the fact that like winnie the pooh is one of the most recognizable properties in the disney universe i mean everyone knows those characters even if you're not a disney fan you can probably id eeyore this sad boy's going up against will turner and we've done a a, a will turner deep dive before when we were talking about best pirates of the Caribbean, we both agreed that Will Turner's a pretty terrible pirate. And part of the reason he is a terrible pirate is because he is such a sad boy. <laughs> such a sad boy. The thing that makes him a, a major sad boy to me in, in Pirates of the Caribbean, it's mostly in the first movie. Every single thing that motivates him is Elizabeth. Like, it's Elizabeth everything. He cannot think straight. All he can do is think about like wanting to be with Elizabeth, basically. Yeah. I mean, and can I please just lead you through the saddest boy sad saga that is Will Turner in the third movie? Oh my gosh, take it away. Because that's that's or actually in the second movie that leads into the third movie. Because that is the saddest sad boy saga. 
So in the second movie, at the very end, uh, the the Kraken's coming for the crew, but it's really coming for Jack because he has the the mark on him. And uh, Elizabeth realizes this, and she also realizes that Jack is like this like player type that's also kind of falling in love with her. So she like tricks him to kissing her, and then ties her to the mast of the Black Pearl, so the rest of the crew can get away. But while they're kissing, Will sees that happen and is instant sad boy. That is that is triggered him into sad boyness for the next like two hours of film that we see. And so Elizabeth locks Jack onto the mast in handcuffs, hops on the boat, and uh and Will goes, uh, where's Jack? And she said, uh, he said to go on without him. And <laughs> Will's just staring at her with this like sad boy, like how could you eyes, but doesn't address the, like never brings it up. Like what was that kiss about? Why did you do this? Like just lets it fester. So much so that they get to Tia Dama's house to like tell her that Jack's dead and that they need to go get him from wherever he might be. Knowing that she can like bring folks back from the dead and and does voodoo and all that stuff. And the first thing we see in her house is Will just like sulking in the corner, slamming a knife into a table. Just so upset. The rest of the room is very upset because Jack's dead, but Will is sitting there just festering in the hatred that he has for Jack and Elizabeth at that moment. That subtle violence is very sad boy energy. So sad boy. It's just so overly dramatic of him, which is like very characteristic of a sad boy for me. And so while they're all soaking, uh, Gibbs raises his glass for a toast and said and like is like to Jack, whatever. And Elizabeth says he was a good man. And instantly Will's eyes just shoot over at her like, what? <laughs> He's a good man. And instead of, you know, confronting her with that idea, he does the ultimate sad boy thing, which is like turn into the good guy to try and get her to like, you know, feel bad for him that he's hurting or whatever and goes if there's anything that I could do to bring him back and then Tia Dama interrupts him and is like oh would you would you go to world's end or whatever so you're like okay like maybe this is a distraction that's needed but oh no everyone oh no in the third movie uh Jack gets sent off to go try and steal this map from Salfang whatever gets caught they uh they escape Singapore they have the map. They're on the boat going to Davy Jones' locker. And Elizabeth and Will have this, finally, a confrontation about it. And Elizabeth was like, I, I had no choice. And Will's dramatic ass goes, you chose not to tell me. And she says, like, it was her burden to bear. And Will hits the most ultimate Uno reverse card on her. Most dramatic uno reverse card later on in the movie using that same line against her when Sal Feng comes back to capture Jack and makes Will the captain of the Black Pearl and Will is like uh it was all part of my plan I need the ship to free my father that's the only reason why I'm on this voyage and Elizabeth is like why didn't you tell me and he was like it was my burden to bear and it's just like well <laughs> boom roasted just the saddest boy so I know it was your turn and I apologize for hijacking it, but I needed to go through the sad boy saga because it's been burning inside of me. No. And, and the, the, that dynamic 
that you're talking about frustrates me so much because they're engaged to be married. Like, wouldn't they be close enough with each other that they sit down and be like, yo, so I thought I saw you making out with Jack Sparrow. Like, what what, what, what was that about? <laughs> but they choose to be passive aggressive towards each other and not talk about it. And uh, that is that is sad boy energy. Like, just let's just not confront this feeling out in the open. Let's just let it fester. And uh, he, yeah, he holds on to that line, that my burden to bear line. Words hurt. And, and sad boys will hang on to those, those things. And they will remember them and, and probably use them in song lyrics, but also <laughs> maybe use them back at you if they, if they need to. Um, it all starts in the first movie when uh, he delivers a sword to the swan's house uh, and eventually ends up sword to sword with Jack Sparrow in the little sword factory. And Jack has his number immediately and is like, you got to get a girl. Actually, maybe you already got a girl, but you're incapable of wooing her. And he's like, no, I train with a sword because I want to kill a pirate when I meet one. And it's like, Mm-mm. no, you definitely don't. Like, we, yeah. we know that's not true, man. Come on. Stop trying to pretend. Uh, and then he does the stupidest thing. And, and Barbosa also has his number when he, Will like reveals himself to be like the uh descendant mm-hmm. of Bootstrap Bill, and he's like, Uh, I'll pull this trigger and I'll be lost to Davy Jones Locker. And Barbosa's like, All right, name your prize. And he's like, Elizabeth is set free. He's like, Why well, assume? Yes, of course, <laughs> we know that one. <laughs> and like, that is like I was saying at the beginning, like, that is perfect, sad boy energy, just. Having some some demons in your past, probably. Obviously, Will had kind of a, a tumultuous upbringing, being raised by a pirate uh, and and being orphaned at a young age. But uh, he kind of has pinned his hopes for redemption on Elizabeth, which is probably not very healthy and uh, can lead to some some t- bad decision making and maybe some destructive tendencies and acting out like we see in the second and third movies. Uh, I think this is where we get into that debate. Uh, what's the difference between uh, a Disney sad boy B-O-I and sad boy B-O-Y? And a boy is like someone who probably isn't thinking straight, is probably very juvenile, and is probably not processing their emotions in a mature way. Um, and so while Eeyore is probably the sadder boy B-O-Y, Will Turner, I think, is the sadder boy, B-O-I. And so I'm advancing the 16 seed Will Turner in the upset here. Yeah, I, you, you nailed it on the head as the distinctions between the two. And I, I agree. I think that Eeyore is exactly who you said he is, just a, a symbol of, you know, sadness, maybe even a little depression and christopher robin but it was he's used as a vehicle to show that like it's it's okay you know to to the audience to have an eeyore in you you know it's okay to feel these ways and feel these emotions um you named one of my favorite quotes but the ultimate eeyore quote is from one of the uh winnie the pooh movies and i could not hunt down where where this one came from but it's my favorite eeyore quote and he's 
he like builds this really awful house and it's it's his normal house with sticks but this one he rebuilt and it's all janky and he goes not much of a house just right for not much of a donkey <laughs> poor Eeyore. poor Eeyore. oh man and uh he just all of his lines all of his lines are just so funny the same one from the same movie that you quoted uh everyone wishes everyone good morning in their little village the little friends kanga and rabbit everybody say good morning and it gets to eeyore and he said if it is a good morning which i doubt (laughs) 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 oh man and then one last one uh in 1997's Pooh's grand adventure they're on a search for Christopher Robin and they're going on this journey to do so. And it's like very foggy and snowy and uh, the conditions are not great. And Eeyore goes, end of the road, nothing to do and no hope of things getting better. Sounds like a Saturday night at my house. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you haven't revisited Winnie the Pooh recently uh, and didn't watch the holiday one, Go ahead and rewatch some of these old ones. They have a lot of great your quips in them. Um, but as you heard from my saga uh, explanation, I'm definitely moving on Will Turner. He's definitely a sad boy BOI in this case. Uh, Eeyore is just sad and he can't help it. He's not being overdramatic. It's just who he is. Will here is being overly dramatic in every way uh, throughout the entire series. So I agree with you, Kadeem. What are your thoughts with us with the first round upset? I mean, sad but true. I think that uh, I have such fondness in my heart for Eeyore because it's so like he's such a nostalgic character from my childhood. I just absolutely love Eeyore, but the kind of like one dimensionality of his character really works against uh, him when, as you know, you both said, B O I boys, like it's all of the emotions at play. And I think one of the most uh, notable things about like boi boys is that like they're often very frustrating and even annoying and that is will turn absolutely all right let's move on to the next matchup it's number nine ian lightfoot from onward versus number nine carl from up and this is another one where it's like it's it's a little difficult for me because carl isn't a sad boy boi he's a sad boy boi because he tragically lost his wife in the saddest Pixar short that should have been a Pixar short at the very beginning. And like that kind of turns him from an optimist to a pessimist. It's that he lost his light sort of thing. So I don't think he really acted irrational at all. He was just an old man where uh, living in a city that was building up around him, he had an annoying neighbor boy scout kid where he just wanted to be left alone he was just a stodgy old dude sad that his wife was gone and he just felt like you know there what is there to do i'm an old man and things are changing and i hate it and he also was like about to go to a retirement home that he didn't want to go to i haven't seen up in a while but so there were there were some things and like i think that's a fear of most folks when they get older is that they don't want to end up in like one of these homes so i think it's justified on his end and he wasn't overreacting or acting on passion but ian lightfoot was and ian lightfoot's 
like acting on passion was the fact that he didn't he he didn't know his father to begin with. His father died when he was little, so he never even really got to meet his father. And he's he's making these decisions to try and meet him. And like, granted, this is like a a mythical world that he lives in. And so like the journey that he goes on is probably not out of the realm of possibilities. But to us, it seems like crazy that you would be sent on a treasure hunt to like revive your dad and think like that's the way you got to go. Um, so like, you know, he's also just like a, a sad kid who who just really wants to meet his father and is acting upon it but it's his like teenager qualities going on this road trip with his brother getting into the shenanigans and making all of these brash decisions uh to to essentially end up not meeting his father unfortunately and that's where he turns into not sad boy that's where he becomes like rational him at the very end when he comes to this realization that his father was with him all along manifested in his in his older brother essentially so uh in this matchup it's kind of like a default win for ian only because carl was not a sad boy yeah i'm I'm trying to like project and, and think of characters like will turner you know your stereotypical sad boy what might they look like in old age like if they were gonna grow up to be carl age would they be curmudgeon you know, skeptical, get off my lawn type personalities? Uh, or do you think they would be kind of like kindred spirits that are trying to like maintain their youthful spirit? Hmm. That's interesting. I don't know. Because I think Carl is very much in denial of, of losing Ellie. He still puts his hand on the mailbox, which is cute. Um, and he, he calls the home our house. He says our mailbox. Like, yes, he's he's probably not properly gone through all of the stages of grief for, from losing her. But I just don't think that that someone who's a sad boy would do that. I feel like they would like move on and try to like almost try and replicate that experience with, with another in old age. You, you, you look like you disagree with that. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think like there's a difference between memorializing and and not letting go. And I think that he was just like allowing her like not spirit spiritually, but like spirit presence in his life to continue on by doing these routine things that they always did. And it brings him, you know, happiness and closure that she's not there, but she is there with him sort of thing. So I don't know that it wasn't, it was a case of not being able to let go. Although I do kind of see it like him not wanting to go to their time at home, him not wanting to give up his house to the developers. Like there's just a lot of memories packed in there. So I get that. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's as extreme as him not being able to like let go. Although that's what the movie's all about. So I'm like, I, I think you're, you're on the right track here. I think, I think Carl's kind of a grumpy old dude because we get to see Carl in his youth. And and part of being a sad boy is is witnessing youth and and seeing like the raging hormones basically. And um, he's a quiet little kid. And Ellie says that's what she likes about him explicitly. You don't talk very much. I like you. Uh, that's his whole thing. He's a scaredy cat. And and there is a lot of fear in in the heart of a sad boy. But I think it's 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 like it manifests itself a little bit differently out in the real world. Uh, I mean, we get Ian Lightfoot in adolescence. I mean, that is perfect 
That is perfect sad boy right there. That's Those are your prime years. And we see a lot of good awkward moments that are indicative of a sad boy in Onward. And we can talk about those next week because I also am advancing Ian to the next round. Uh, Kadeem, do you have any parting words for Carl? Poor Carl didn't make it far. I mean, you know, those that first part of Up is like some of the saddest uh movie scenes that I've seen ever, honestly. But I think, you know, similarly to Eeyore, his one dimensionality kind of uh doesn't do him any favors in this competition. You know, he's just a grumpy old man. He's not a sad boy. So All right. Let's move on to the next matchup. It's the number four seed Jack Skellington versus number thirteen Wreck It Ralph. Uh, we have talked about Jack Skellington's sad boyness before, so let's go ahead and talk about Ralph a little bit. We first meet Ralph at the beginning of Wreck It Ralph as a narrator. He lives in the video game Wreck It Ralph, and he's the bad guy in the game. And he is not about that life. He says right off the bat that uh, he doesn't like the way that he's treated in the game. There are all these little uh, town folks that get saved. And they throw Fix-It Felix a party and they give him a medal and all this stuff. And, and Ralph, he has to live in the dump with a bunch of bricks next door. And, and all he wants is that validation and the attention and the fanfare that goes with being a hero. And he knows that he'll never, ever get that. So he, he's very sad about his state of being, which, I mean, I can relate. Like, that's not a life anyone wants to live, to just, just never have friends. So Ralph ends up in a support group. He goes to Bad Anon, where they go around the circle and say, I'm, my name's Ralph and I'm a bad guy or so, something like that. And, and their mantra is, I'm bad and that's good. <laughs> uh, something to me that, that makes him feel very sad boy is, is that idea of thinking you know what you want. And thinking that that thing that you want is going to fix you. Yeah. That's like, that's yeah. like very sad boy energy. It, it's, it's looking for external validation. Uh, it's being, it's saying all my problems will be solved if blank. And the sad truth is that that's usually never the case. Yeah. Once you fill in the blank, something else is going to come along that makes you sad. So at some point you have to find a life of contentment. And, and that's something mm-hmm. that Ralph learns uh, at the end of the movie. That's kind of his character arc. Right. Once he goes on his like journey to, to find this medal and, and hang out with Vanellope and all that stuff, his character flattens out a little bit. You lose his sad boy energy. I said this at the very beginning of the life of this podcast where we we're discussing Ralph as a hero. He becomes kind of unlikable to me because we know what he's doing is wrong. He's trying to scam his way to like this metal and and we're like this this just doesn't sit well with me. You know, some of these characters on this bracket, they they're more bad guys and more supporting characters and so they don't really have a whole lot of opportunity for growth. So like they're born a sad boy and they die a sad boy. And like I don't know how to compare characters like that with a character like Ralph who kind of outgrows his sad boy energy. Uh, Ralph's going up against Jack, who is a romantic. Jack is, is the kind of guy who, who's a lost soul, and he's always longing for more in his life. We meet Jack 
as he comes back from a night of Halloween and the town worships him. He's got people literally at his feet being like, Jack, you're the best. There's some like little witch ladies like, you make walls crawl, Jack. And he's like, thank you. Thank you. Um, and, and like everyone is so juiced on him being the pumpkin king. He is the king of Halloween town. And yet he wants more. And so he goes off on this like midnight stroll, and, like runs away. And that's where we get uh, the iconic line. Nice work bone daddy and 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 jack to that goes yeah i guess so just like last year and the year before that and the year before that so like clearly this guy isn't happy with where he is in life total sad boy energy i also i want to point out running away from things physically is a sad boy trait that we see a few times on this bracket just like unexpectedly being like what am i doing right now i'm dipping i'm out bye and and that's kind of what jack's doing this moment and he does this whole like sad song about wanting more out of life one highlight line for me in that song somewhere deep inside of these bones an emptiness began to grow there's something there outside of my home a longing that i've never known he also references uh Loving to recite Shakespearean quotations, which is like that deep, um, like starving artist energy that often you find in a sad boy type. So, uh, like, all in all, I mean, we're just through the first five or 10 minutes of Nightmare Before Christmas, and we already have like way more solid foundation to build on than we do with Wreck It Ralph. So, I am advancing Jack Skellington here. Yeah, it's the like the sad boy energy of investing of directing their like passions into the wrong ways into the wrong things into the wrong energies and for Wreck-It Ralph it's this dumb metal that he feels like is what his worth is and he's willing to like scam his way through it like nothing's worse than a desperate sad boy <laughs> but he he doesn't hold on to it too long the story kind of takes a turn where he's it focuses more on the friendship that he's building with Vanellope than it does like his sad boyness. But I mean, yeah, you're right. Jack is a very sad boy. And I'll talk more about him next round because I'm also going to move him on, which means Kadeem, once again, you're not breaking a tie. But uh, what are your thoughts on Jack moving on here? Definitely the right call. I mean, I, I, you hit the nail on the head when you said that Ralph loses his sad boy energy. I mean, especially like in the sequel where it's not even present at all really so jack it is all right let's continue our discussion with number five davy jones versus number 12 pl travers you couldn't really have more opposites of uh <laughs> characters <laughs> in this matchup here what a matchup man this is this is a fantasy matchup right this one's here. fun so for those who don't know, P.L. Travers was the author of Mary Poppins and the Mary Poppins stories that came after that. And uh, this character shows up in Saving Mr. Banks, which is supposed to be the story of Walt Disney's acquiring of the Mary Poppins IP from P.L. Travers and how difficult that was. And and it, it was difficult. Um, now, you can't necessarily trust... Uh, 
a historical story produced by Disney about Disney. Um, it's not always going to be true, and and that's the case here. The whole concept is that Walt wants this story. P.L. Travers doesn't want him to do a musical, doesn't want to do a cartoon, wants it played straight up. That's not Walt's business. Uh, so it's all it's him trying to check these boxes with her to try and get her to to bend and break uh, around cartoons, around songs, uh, around even what the father looks like and Mr. Banks. And that's what this whole thing is, saving Mr. Banks. It's who is Mr. Banks going to be? How is he going to look? How does he act? And Disney weaves in this backstory about P.L. Travers and her youth. She grew up with an entrepreneur father, a bank father, much like uh, Mr. Banks in Mary Poppins is, moves, has to move out of the city into a small farm town because he's lost all of their money and he's an alcoholic from it. He, he's down on his luck. He's drinking a lot. He gets sick. He dies. Very traumatic for P.L. Travers, who was very much in love with her dad and the, his ability to tell stories. So she tells all these stories, blah, blah, blah. Walt Disney wants to take this and make it into this big musical. She doesn't want it because she's now this kind of curmudgeoned lady who is guarding everything because everything that she's loved, she's lost. So she now loves Mary Poppins and she feels like she's going to lose it because Walt wants it and is going to make it into this like cartoon fantasy kid thing that uh, the perception was of the work that he created. I don't get a ton of sad boy energy from her. I get a lot of like skepticism from her i get a lot of uh unwillingness to uh to open up from her um she's very much she has a lot of like eeyore-esque lines in this movie specifically when they go to disneyland for the first time and she is like this place absolutely sucks (laughs) like who would want to be here um she she's criticizing everything that she sees it's only more solidifying her her unwillingness to let this IP go. And in reality, like Walt is the sad boy in this movie. Like yeah. Walt is yeah. constantly using these tactics, these sad boy tactics to like try and convince the thing that he wants that it is what he needs. And for him, it's convincing PL. So like sending her a bunch of Disney stuff to her hotel room. She doesn't want that. Tons, like way too much stuff. Bringing her to Disneyland. She doesn't want it. Uh, forcing her to work with the Sherman brothers and like trying to break her at every, like showing, trying to show her every step as if that's going to help very uh, desperate, sad boy move to like break down these steps for her. So like in reality, I think Walt's the sad boy, which brings me (laughs) to my favorite villain of all time, Mr. Davy Jones. And what makes Davy Jones such a great sad boy is that he loses what he wants and goes psycho and then still thinks that's what he wants and then ends up dying. (laughs) That's it. That's the story of Davy Jones in a sentence. That's the story. That's the story of Davy Jones. Davy Jones was a great sailor. He fell in love with Calypso. Uh, They don't make it super clear if Calypso was in her like woman form or in her sea form she's the goddess of the sea and tia dama says uh two different versions both are true and when they're telling the story and so it's kind of just like eh, we don't really want to explain it but they fall in love and calypso is immortal 
So in order for Davy Jones to be immortal and like live and love her forever, she she charges him with the the task of ferrying souls from the land of the living to the land of the dead safely. Those that are lost at sea. And in order to do that, he essentially has to like die and become Davy Jones, like the the farrier guy. He wasn't always Squid Man. He was like an actual human immortal type being. But the one catch that Chris and I called out in, I think, the best Pirates movie is that he can only see her every 10 years uh, on land, like physically hang out with her. Uh, I guess she's like always around him because she's like the goddess of the sea, but like can physically be with her one day every 10 years. That And that is what I went off on that epic rant about Will is like, how come they can't just go on the boat too or meet on a different boat? Or we already saw Davy Jones show up on a sandbar in a bucket. So I'm, I'm assuming that no one dies on the day that he's going to be on land and he's not going to show back up to work the next day with like hundreds of souls to be ferrying to the, the land of the dead. Anyways, who cares? Put that aside. Uh, he shows up on that day after 10 years of doing his job and she's not there. And so Ghosted. He, he loses his mind and becomes this like, out for revenge sailor immortal sailor that he's still part of this like brethren's captain pirate club that he essentially rats out who calypso is and how to capture her and they get together burn the nine pieces of eight and like prison her in a mortal body uh so she can't do really anything except for practice like her her magic or have her powers essentially but her full force isn't released so that essentially brings us to like that third movie when uh, they're reunited and she's held captive, captive on, uh, on Davy Jones' ship. And they have the exchange that is the sad boy exchange of forever. So not only has Davy Jones been wailing on his organ the, the locket song that reminds him of his lost love and gets mad every time he's playing it because it reminds him of her. But he also was so, was so, but he was also in so much pain that he cut out his own heart and put it in a chest to kind of relieve himself of the stress. That's why the heart was in the chest the entire time, because it hurt him too much to have it. So they meet back up and uh, she's like trying to like woo him and, and trying to get him to let her go and release her from her form. And she brings up that she loves him and he's like i do not love you which is like a very good sad boy moment like that obviously you do bro you obviously love her you're just like sad that she ghosted you and she tries to like reconcile with him and he goes you want there <laughs> when he brings up that she didn't show up on that that day 10 years later and it's just like such an overly dramatic like every move he's made from the moment that he met this woman goddess has been sad boy energy it's been sad boy energy it's just been over dramatic over corrections of who he is and what he should be doing he went so evil that he even befriended a kraken and went on a tear on the seas forever until he was ultimately killed by the thing he loved, Calypso, in the final battle of the third movie. Chris, Davy Jones is definitely moving on here. P.L. Travers has no business being on this bracket. All right. Thank you for the, the in-depth 
uh, Davy Jones saga, Kyle. Yeah, you're uh, very that welcome. Was, that was nope. expert. You would you would assume that we hadn't done a pirates bracket already by how much I talked about pirates. So uh, I would love to get into some of the more intricate details of Davy Jones next bracket because uh, I'm advancing him as well. But <laughs> BL Travers as a sad boy. There's not a whole lot. There's some moments. I'll just point out one in particular when she chucks those pears into the swimming pool. Okay. <laughs> uh, sad boys like to throw things. Oh yeah. For no reason. Uh, and so I thought that that PL Travers doing that was was very sad boy appropriate. Um, Kadeem, uh, anything to say about PL Travers? Do you do you even know this movie? Um, I will say that like I I do know um actually like the history of this and I will say like if it played out more like what actually happened in real life there might be maybe some sort of argument for P.L. Travers but Davy Jones cut out his own heart like what's more <laughs> sad boy than that absolutely nothing he's the embodiment of that bitmoji where. Like the the, the bitmoji's holding their heart and it's oh, like in yeah. their hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the only bitmoji that exists in my book. <laughs> uh, let's hop over to the other side of the bracket. It's the number two seed sadness versus number fifteen Troy Bolton from High School Musical. I have said it multiple times on this podcast. I am very Zach Efron biased, so I cannot wait to talk about Troy Bolton. So Troy Bolton. Has Danny Zuko energy. Uh, that is the main character, John Travolta's character in Greece, who like had this adventure during the summer and became changed in some way and is ashamed of uh, his changing attitudes and preferences. And then so he comes back to school and he's like trying to hide who he is basically from his friends. Troy's the the star of the basketball team. His dad is the coach. And suddenly he wants to be a musical theater performer, which, you know what, in 2006 or whatever, when this movie came out, that was super normal. Nowadays, it's like probably the other way around. Right. Because children these days love their theatrics. I don't know. Troy isn't isn't super sad in really any of these high school musical movies. He is a little bit um, torn. Like we see him go to his secret location on the roof of the school, which is actually like a tiny greenhouse. Uh, that's where like he he sits and thinks about life, and he he doesn't know like whether to please his friends by making sure he's at basketball practice all the time and playing in the basketball game and not going to the theater callbacks or like follow his heart and sing with Gabriella. So we see him kind of like struggling with that, but it never really reaches the point where like he's in tears or like throws any types of tantrum, which is, is kind of like what you expect from a, a sad boy, B-O-I. He does play angry basketball in High School Musical 1 as well as High School Musical 2. Only difference in the second movie is he has no shirt on when he's playing angry basketball. Troy's got the sad boy hair, though. Yeah, I think out of anyone on this bracket, he has the look. It's it's that uh, Bama Bang type hair that <laughs> is just like way too long. He's got some color in it. Uh, he he's got very tight fitting clothing, which is is often associated with the sad boy. So he he certainly looks the part. In High School Musical two, you really get the best 
Troy sad boy moment and that his his entire rendition of bet on it bet on it bet on it bet on it when he is angry dancing across the entire golf course until he reaches the bridge of the song where he looks at his own reflection and and we cut this gift for for our best decoms bracket when he sees himself in the water and is like it's such a scary place <laughs> And and then and he looks down at his own reflection and he just like splashes it. He's like, boom. I don't want to look at myself. Very, very, very sad boy. There is also a moment in that movie where he decides to randomly start sprinting down a track because his friends are like pushing him around a little bit too much, pushing his buttons. It's like he certainly has his outbursts, but uh, I don't know. It it only reaches like a six and a half to me it never, it never really gets there where you're like oh we going full sad boy now let's go really just that that one song uh going up against sadness from inside out i mean it's hard competing with literal sadness and and when we were going into this i was like i don't know how long i can advance sadness because much like Eeyore, it's like when we're talking about sad boys, we're looking at this kind of overly dramatic type character that's maybe emotional when they don't really need to be emotional, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I went back and I reviewed Inside Out, and it was a treat to, to look at these, these specific moments uh, in the life of sadness. So, so some ones that stood out to me were... Just the way that everyone was treating sadness, the way Joy was trying to like contain sadness, she drew a little circle and was like, this is your sadness circle. Stay inside your sadness circle. And I feel like internally, a lot of sad boys and sad girls feel that. Like they feel like they can't feel. They feel like everyone's afraid of them and is trying to box them in, trying to like not let them be themselves. And, and, that's pretty like unhealthy for joy to, to try to do that to sadness. So I thought, I thought that was nice. She has a couple of, of short one liners. Goodbye friendship. Hello loneliness. When <laughs> friendship Island crashes inside Riley's mind. Also when they're walking through imagination land, Bing Bong is like, Oh, we got French fry forest. Eat the French fries. Joy's like, we got cloud city. Like look how fluffy and sadness is like, is it all going to be so interactive? Which is like very sad boy energy. You do not want to participate in literally anything. You'd rather sit there and think and feel than, than actually like go outside your comfort zone. And then in comes an underrated, unknown Disney sad boy. And that is imaginary boyfriend in Riley's yes. mind. He yes. pops out of a conveyor belt and his only line, I would die for riley it's like that's it right there like that is the disney sad boy that's who we're talking about when we're talking about this bracket is that guy right there i think troy definitely has has that youthful energy that we're looking for but ultimately troy kind of plays a hero role throughout a lot of high school musical much like ralph his character kind of flattens out we never really see him reach the depths of his emotion and we definitely see that from sadness so i am advancing sadness you're missing the biggest sad boy moment of Troy Bolton. It is High School Musical 3. 
and it's during his song number called Scream. It's literally a sad boy song. It's it's exactly what we've been talking about this entire time. Troy's about to graduate from high school and he's feeling very pressured about choosing the right path after high school. Is he supposed to go to college? Is he supposed to find a job? Uh, does he play basketball? Like he he's so stressed. And the song scene opens up with him walking to his locker and he takes his shirt off and throws it down into the corner like a sad boy. He turns around and he starts singing this like slow ballad, walks out, soaks out with his jersey on to the to the basketball court, looks up at his banner, which apparently he already has his number retired and hanging in the rafters as a senior. He sees it and then the song takes the like surreal twist where the he's in this kind of fantasy world a million basketballs fall from the sky and he can he starts singing this very like emo pop song and as he's singing it he's punching and kicking basketballs as they're falling are you joking this is sad boy 101 and then he enters one of these like backstreet boy and sync rooms that are turning and he's crawling along the walls as he's singing this is Troy Bolin is a sad boy. And then he's stomping up the stairs. He enters the hallway and he says the line, I don't know where to go. What's the right team? And the entire time he is head banging his Bieber haircut bangs all over the place. Chris, Troy Bolton in this scene alone is more of a sad boy than sadness. Troy Bolton's moving on for me. Kadeem, you're breaking a tie. So, so sadness, sadness is, is similar to your, you know, sad, just like literally the embodiment of sadness. But I do feel like sadness is, has a bit more dimension than Eeyore does. And I feel like a lot of it, it's also just like depression. Like when like Chris was mentioning, oh, like Sadness saying, does everything have to be so interactive? Like, sadness literally just doesn't want to do anything except for, like, sit there and be sad. But I do also think, like, not wanting to do anything except for sit there and be sad is a sad boy thing. But I feel like it's more, I guess, saying you don't want to do anything except for sit there and be sad as opposed to that actually being how you feel. For Troy... When I first saw him, originally, like, my immediate thought was, like, bet on it, you know? Um, but also, Scream is, is good, too. And actually, I think you make a, f- a really good point, Kyle, in that, like, that is the epitome of literal sad boy. The thing I, I think that goes against Troy most is that he's in three movies. And he has, like, two sad boy moments. Sadness is is borderline sad boy borderline just like depressed um but i have to give it to to sadness for at least consistency (laughs) okay okay before we leave i need to point out one other part of scream because i can't get over this song and scene there's a part where he goes into the lunchroom And he looks up and they have these massive banners of some of the high school players hanging and he sees himself and he walks over with his like arms out and grabs it, turns around and just tears it down. And there's lightning and rain 
everywhere outside. So it's just everything's strobing. And I, I've never seen High School Musical 3. But while researching Troy, I came across this. And it's like, this is if Scream was a Disney Mania song, this would have won that bracket. This is an amazing piece of art. Okay, sadness moves on in our sad boy bracket. We are talking next about number seven, Anakin Skywalker versus number 10, Elsa. So in our Star Wars bracket, I had talked a lot about how Luke sucks and he whines a lot, but I failed to mention that prequel Anakin is like actually the worst. (laughs) It is an art form, the way Anakin does it. It's, It's so painful to watch. Um. Only here here are a few of the lines that Moody Anakin says in the first three movies of the Star Wars Skywalker saga. Uh, first of all, first of all, talk about a man's acting on passion. He kills all the Padawans. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's like that's just the tip of the iceberg is murdering children. Step one kills the kids. Except Grogu. Then, Except for Grogu, apparently, and then stares. Wait, no, that was no Grogu's in Ben's Padawan thing. That's later on. So he doesn't. I don't know. Who cares? Whatever. Except for Grogu. Sure, Grogu's in this one too. Grogu is eternal and forever, and is fifty, but really is fifty in his second life. Anakin kills all the Padawans and then screams, "What have I done?" Like, you know what you've done. You just killed all these kids. Every moment with Padme is just like, Anakin, what is happening? Uh, They're reunited. He says, now that I'm with you, I am in agony. He doesn't want to leave when they're escaping. He's yelling at Obi-Wan to put the ship down. Put the ship down. (laughs) Like, everything is just passion for this guy. His monologue about their first kiss. He tells her, I'm haunted by the kiss that you should have never given me. Anakin, you sad boy. Every, and what makes him such a fantastic sad boy is how he's contrasted to the people he's being sad to. Like everyone else is just so focused on the task at hand and there's, Anakin being like overly dramatic about the situations at hand or even the situations that he puts himself in like killing all the kids (laughs) it seems like every time he's about to speak you can see it in his eyes that he's gonna say something absolutely ridiculous and it's almost like he's repeating a line from a dashboard confessional song that's the beauty of Anakin as in like episode two specifically yes it's just the way he like holds his face is so spot on. It it's like he's such a sad boy. He is embarrassed to open his mouth too wide when he speaks. So like everything is like slightly mumbly. <laughs> exactly. And he's up against Elsa, who like has sad boy moments. Like go he she murks Anna and like locks herself up for it and feels bad, which is like an oh like that's an overcorrect. Anna ended up being like chill. She was fine. And Elsa was still like, no, I must contain myself. I must hide myself behind this door and never see my sister ever again. Like sad boy behavior. And then like the entire. And I'll preface this before all 
Frozen fans come after me. I understand the context that is associated with Let It Go and like how powerful that song is, but that's also a sad boy song. Absolutely. I 100% agree. That is a sad boy song. She is singing out her emotions, throwing things, very sad boyness, taking off her like shawl or whatever, letting that literally go building things up like she's she's acting out of passion during the song it's it's also sad boy behavior so like she she has sad boy tendencies but throughout her her span it's not all sad boy um i guess in frozen 2 she does as well she's acting very much on passion very obsessed with finding out this like secret that she hears in her head and is trying to go after it like and and leaving people behind and in her wake, I think that's also very sad boy, very self-centered, focused on the world revolves around me. Um, but like the epitome of that in this matchup is Anakin Skywalker. The world revolves around everything that Anakin does to his very end, you know? Obi-Wan just wants to like train him as a great Jedi and till the very end, he's like, you were like a brother to me. <laughs> like it's it's still the same, you know? So Anakin's moving on here for me past uh, Elsa. Uh, I I really wish that we could like rearrange this bracket and like move some of these from the right over to the left because Elsa I think is is very sad boy sad girl energy and and I love that you referenced Let It Go because I love when our sad characters have songs and and their sadness like inspires a song and. Uh, these are these are ripe for emo or alternative lyrics. Oh yeah, the snow glows white on the mountain tonight. Not a footprint to be seen. A kingdom of isolation, and it looks like I'm the queen. <laughs> like just take like instead of it being like a a, a Broadway sounding song, just just yeah. make it screamo. No escape from the storm inside of me. <laughs> like it's just it is what it is. It's great. Um. But I agree with you about Frozen 2. Like, Frozen 1 is very much like the sad boy story arc. Uh, Learning not to be selfish. Learning not to suppress your emotions. Learning to to take those things that make you emotional and use them to your advantage. Use them to be constructive and um, create. But ultimately, I think think Elsa becomes kind of like a Marvel-y superhero-type character by the end of Frozen 2. And... Um, she's she's released from her angst and her anxiety that she's experienced in the last two Frozen movies. She's 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 become superhuman, and uh, Elsa's going up against Anakin here. Who, if we were gonna go through like every sad boy quote that Anakin has in four Star Wars movies, we'd have to read the entire damn script, right? I have three full pages of Anakin notes on being a sad boy. <laughs> so um, let's get into it on the next episode because Anakin's the easy advance here. Uh, Kadeem, uh, how do we feel about this? Yeah, I mean, Frozen 1 um, also was a, was a sad girl. Frozen 2, I, I don't know what else was. She was she was something else. But I think that, you know, as as you all pointed out, like if she had been somewhere else on here, um, she would have uh actually could have made it pretty far, like on the if she was on the left side. 
Yep. Anakin. Anakin's the right choice. I do want to say, though, randomly, I am surprised Kylo Ren didn't up, end up on here, actually. It's funny because I was I was thinking the same thing when I was watching these prequels again, which I have not revisited in, in decades because I had no reason to. And I was watching like the, the early Anakin scenes and I'm like, oh, like, it's interesting Kylo's not on this because he is such a sad boy. But then I was like, take everything sad boy about Kylo and Anakin's already done it three times. Okay. Like, remember <laughs> yeah. when everyone, everyone was like freaking out when Kylo had no shirt on for no reason? It's like, there's literally already two Anakin shirtless <laughs> scenes that apparently no one remembers, you know? So let's all give the king some credit here. Uh, let's move on to the next matchup. It's number three, The Beast from Beauty and the Beast versus number 14, Bruce Banner from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This matchup is literally the same person, like literally the exact same person. Bruce Banner has a lot of Beauty and the Beast stuff going on. The Beast is is Beauty and the Beast. So I guess I guess we can start with the Beast. We we get like a a, a prologue where he was rude to a lady, so she made him a beast, and then he tries. I guess he he's cursed to find someone that could fall in love with him. It doesn't seem like he's putting right. much effort into that, by the way. <laughs> like, he just, like he's like, no, he's committed. How am I going to fix this problem? I'm probably just going to lock myself in the tower and just hope that it goes away, I guess. So he, he ends up with Belle. She just literally falls into his trap and he's, he's mad about it. He's like, he's got this bubble that he's created and he's, he's very sad that someone has entered his bubble and his reaction is, is anger. His rage. And, um, you know, sad boys have a lot of ways of, of processing their feelings. And, and I think rage is, is one, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> um, but Beast really, really comes off as, as a mean person. I think a good sad boy displays a range of emotions. Some sorrow, some fear, and some rage, but like Beast just really overcompensates with the rage. We see that when Belle says she doesn't want to eat anything, and he's like, Well, she could starve. Mm-hmm. She starts falling in love with him. We get that in the something there sequence. And Beast's immediate reaction to this is is one of disbelief. He's like, I'm an unlovable person. I'm a, I'm a beast, scary, mean, ugly beast. How could anyone love me? And like, that's pretty sad boy energy because I think that's oftentimes like what a sad boy sees inside of themselves. Like I, I'm, I'm a monster, you know, no one likes me. I'm misunderstood. And it's almost like surprising that someone could love me for who I am right now. It gets like really, really deep when the mob from the town ends up breaking into the castle after the beast has lost Belle. He let her go, by the way, which is kind of actually a sad boy move, like falling on his sword essentially for her. And and Gaston comes in the room with a bow and arrow and Beast literally doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm going to just sit here. You know, like nothing can hurt me as bad as my heart is hurt right now. And like, that's that's big sad boy energy. Very big sad boy energy. Uh, unfortunately, Beast doesn't really get a song in the animated feature, but we get him in the live action. 
Evermore. I think we've talked about it a couple times on this podcast. Very underrated song. Got a lyric from it. I let her steal into my melancholy heart. It's more than I can bear. She will still torment me, call me, hurt me. Wasting in my lonely tower, waiting by an open door. I'll fool myself, she'll walk right in. This is, this is sad boy poetry right here. This is excellent. <laughs> Beast is going up against Bruce Banner. I mean, a lot of really, really similar qualities here. Uh, we meet Bruce in The Avengers. And uh, we meet him in Calcutta. Natasha, a.k.a. Black Widow, tracks him down. He doesn't really want to go with her, but he knows he doesn't really have any choice. Once he gets there, we, we get to see the human side of Bruce Banner, and that is like a very scared dude. He's, he's very skittish, um, and, and you can tell he has like a, a weight of emotions and like a tiredness about him. He, he like feels drained at all times when he's in Bruce Banner mode. And I think a lot of sad boys aren't really afraid to like let their emotions go. But Bruce obviously can't do that because he turns into a green rage monster. As Tony Stark puts it, everyone in the room is, is really like afraid of, of Bruce. I think it's Tony like sticks him with like a little, a little taser or something, just like a funny toy to like shock him and caps like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't do that. And, Nick Fury comes in the room and is trying to get him to like leave when they start getting a little bit like uh, argumentative as a group. Uh, and, and again, this goes back to what we we're talking about sadness, like the way that other people react to a sad boy is one, one of fear, not, not really knowing what they're capable of. Bruce has certainly got some sad boy lines here. In Avengers, he says, I don't get a suit of armor. I'm exposed like a nerve. It's a nightmare. Another quote comes when they're talking about like the Avengers as a whole. He says, we are a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We are a time bomb. He's just talking about like his ability to, to burst into emotion at any time. So we get a lot of Bruce Banner in the Avengers. And then like we slowly lose Bruce as we go on throughout the cinematic universe. And we get more Hulk. Uh, in, in Age of Ultron, we get um, Natasha like calming Hulk down. She's got the, the little phrase she's like, hey, big guy, sun's getting real low. And they do this little like hand touching thing. Um, you know, like I say, it's a lot like Beauty and the Beast, you know, where like you have a, a man who's scary on the outside and like a, a seemingly very like kind spirit of a woman who's, who's trying to like reel that in a little bit. Bruce decides to run away at the end of Avengers Age of Ultron. Total sad boy move. When things are not going your way, just run. Just run away from it all. Uh, I really like that a lot. I think at the end of the day, the Beast is like so much more Disney than Bruce Banner and Hulk. But I, I love seeing so many different sides of Bruce Banner and Hulk. Um, and just the way that he, he accesses more of like his sorrow than, than the Beast does. Uh, the Beast seems to be all anger to me. So actually, I'm, I'm going to advance Bruce Banner here in the upset. Um, for me, I, I see the beast a little bit more as the sad boy. Like the beast is continually projecting that he's misunderstood onto everything around him. But like everyone knows exactly who the beast is. Like the, all of his servants know that like, oh, he's just this way. Like it's this, he, he's a human. He, he's human. Bell sees it. 
through his like beastly uh outer layer that there's like a nice human on the inside that is worthy of like love and and life and he throws sad boy fits all the time you think like from the moment that bell's father gets captured and and bell comes in and she's and he's like hiding in the shadows just and she's like come into the light and he comes out like you know it everything just protrudes sad boy energy from the beast uh the the biggest moment you already brought up was when like he's trying to be a nice kidnapper and is like come eat with me and bell's like no you just kidnapped me and he's like yeah well starve like not getting your way and making it feel like the world's against you sad boy check check on the sad boy bruce is just like a lost soul much like jack except that he's not looking to get like to be found he's just confused about who he is why he's the way he is and then the feelings that he has he's obviously in love with natasha and in major voltron he sees natasha like being very friendly with the other avengers i think it's actually with thor and captain america tries to like soothe him by saying like don't worry i've seen her flirt up close and that's this ain't it and then bruce is like wait what do you mean up close like he he's like jelly boy and like jelly boy is much like will like will turner you know like that's a sad boy quality but that's not the the character that hulk holds on to the entire time i mean much of what bruce is battling is like is is himself he's not battling a a passion he's not making rat he's not making rash decisions if anything he's making calculated decisions to not bring the hulk out constantly he's constantly trying to not and then eventually he gives in because he's just like "I i give up which sure giving up and just like giving in i guess like being the victim is is sad boyness but like for him it was the greater good and just gives himself to the hulk and then like goes to ragnarok and it's just like i'm a i'm gonna stay up here where i can't hurt people like earth doesn't have to deal with the hulk i like the hulk can be out here and be a gladiator and do all this stuff uh and so like i don't see him much as a a sad boy in which the world is against him i see him battling himself the beast it's the other way around like sad boy who is having girl issues and who is having people issues and no one understands him and so he's lashing out and that sad boy energy so for me it's the beast kadeem you're breaking this tie bruce banner has you know definitely some sad boy qualities and some sad boy moments um i think you know he was more sad boy in in the first Hulk movie when he was Edward Norton, to be honest. Um, I feel like, I don't know. I just, I, I see it with Mark Ruffalo and like how, how it, it is supposed to come across. I just don't necessarily believe it. Um, and I also, you know, Kyle makes a good point. Like it's not the character that he holds on to. And with the Hulk, the Hulk is literally just a petulant five-year-old. <laughs> right. Not sad boy at all. Literally just a child. Um, as far as, yeah, so I mean, I, I got to get to the beast. 
I would like to make one correction. Kyle referred to the planet that Hulk flies to as Ragnarok. Um, it's actually called Sakar. Ragnarok is not a place. It is when hell destroys the planet of Asgard. Kyle, you got to get your Marvel straight, bro. I think, no, that's just a taste of what people are to can expect out of me for this Marvel bracket that's coming up because uh, there's going to be a lot of corrections. And thank goodness the guest we have lined up is a, a Marvel expert. So there'll be a lot of corrections as we go along. But uh, as we move along, so does the Beast. The Beast takes down Bruce Banner and we'll move on into the Elite Eight. And that brings us to our final matchup of this first round. It is number six, Quasimodo from the Hunchback of Notre Dame versus number 11, Michael Banks from Mary Poppins and Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, as Kadeem just brought up with the Hulk, the Hulk is like a five-year-old. Half of this Michael Banks character is a literal child. I can't see him as a sad boy. He is a little kid who is a, has little kid feelings. Therefore, the first Mary Poppins film in which Michael Banks is sad uh, regarding like how he spends his tuppence, uh, as Chris had brought up, and wanting to feed the birds, that's little kid behavior. Where he does get sad as an adult is when he has a moment in the attic uh, in Mary Poppins Returns where he's reminiscing about losing his wife, uh, who he loved dearly, and it sings a very sad song about it. I don't see that as sad boyness. I see it as a, a father grieving over the loss of his wife. Um, however, that grief does distract him from everyday dad duties uh, were introduced to this family in a very dysfunctional way because he's a very distracted person he's behind on his bills because his wife handles the finances and it, it kind of has torn down his entire life but i don't see him chasing a passion i feel i see him getting lost in his own grief quasimodo on the other hand is a jealous jealous boy who hates to see captain phoebus love on esmeralda and it is quite the the sight to see during this movie there's many storylines in this movie and there's many ways it could have gone and they focused very much on this love story because it's 90s disney and when quasi realizes that esmeralda definitely wants to keep him in the so-called friend zone uh quasi is so hurt that he has to lean back and grab onto a post and sulk like the sad boy he is chris number six quasimodo is moving on as the sad boy only after Quasimodo takes an ace of hearts out of his chest pocket and tears it in half <laughs> does he lean on that post and start to sulk. Um, Quasi has so many great sad boy moments in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I agree with you about Michael Banks. I think it's fun a lot of times when we see these sad boys have these gut reactions to things, but like losing your significant other to death mother of your three children and he says it happened this past year like the dudes he's in the right here to like not really have his stuff together yeah um as a child he he gets pretty sad when uh <laughs> Dawes growls fidelity fiduciary bank or whatever it's called yeah, like yeah. chases him out and Bert finds him and he's like, your father loves you. And he's like, no, he doesn't. He doesn't like us at all. <laughs> like that's, come on, man. Like, I mean, you're a little kid, so maybe you don't, you don't really know that that's a silly thing to think, but um, 
yeah, I'm 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 going with Quasimodo. Uh, Kadeem, thoughts on that final matchup? Yeah, uh, definitely the right call there. Quasimodo is a sad, sad hunchback <laughs> boy. Um, yeah, Michael Banks. I mean, in Mary Poppins Returns, like he was pretty sad, like consistently throughout the movie. But oh yeah, I think that um, the in the first one, it it's literally just it's kid behavior, you know. And that, I think, goes against him. But, you know, even with that, I don't think he would beat Quasimodo in my book. All right, everyone. Well, we've got our round of eight for next episode. When we get to y'all next week, it's going to be the number 16, Will Turner, versus number eight, Ian Lightfoot. Number four, Jack Skellington, versus number five, Davy Jones. On the other side, we've got number two, Sadness, versus number seven, Anakin Skywalker. Rounding out the Elite Eight, the number... Number three, The Beast versus number six, Quasimodo. We have got some high seeds here. It looks like we only had one upset this week. Very top heavy. Yeah, and the upset was a (laughs) 16-1. That's big time. So, yeah, it is big time. So, uh, interesting conversations came out of what qualifies a sad boy, and I hope that people followed along with that because it's definitely not sad as being sad. It's definitely sad as being overdramatic. Uh, Kadeem, thank you so much for joining us on this journey in this first round. We loved having you. And I think that you're probably going to have to break a few more ties uh, coming up this next bracket. Should be a good one. All right, everybody, you know how to reach us. If you've got something to say about this sad boy bracket, if you've got some contribution to the sad boy dialogue, send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Discord. Hit us up on all those. We're active all the time. We'd love to hear from you. Till next week, folks. I hate you. Oh, what? 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 Oh,